Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Hi everyone, what's up? This is Rachel, that's Rebecca over there. See her? You can only see me if you're watching on YouTube. Hey everyone. She's waving. Um, so recently, I just want to jump in with this real quick because I keep seeing this comment on your TikTok. Okay, we're on TikTok if you don't know. Rebecca posted recently, just like a real quick recap of our very first episode, Carolyn Watson and Julian Buckwald. Mm -hmm. It's an Australian case where, spoiler, Julian ends up being the one, the killer. Well, not killer, but, you know. <laughs> the worst. The, ends the up worst. being the worst. Yeah, there you go. And but it starts with us being like, "What?" He pulled over because he saw roadkill, and we're like, "That's so weird." And Rebecca's like, "Well, boys are gross. What? What can you do?" Several Australians, several. I mean, over and over, several Australians commented that in Australia you're encouraged to pull over if you see roadkill to see if there's a baby, a surviving baby in the pouch or wherever. Yeah, which I did not know. I found that very interesting. I've never gotten so many comments. It's so going to be in the 100, 300 comments <laughs> like that, being like, oh, I live in Australia, and it's actually your um, civic duty to do that. I'm like, oh, my God, no idea. It's cool. I get it now. That's, I get it. Totally. Mm -hmm. So thanks for letting us know, Aussies. Yeah, and that's great. Good for y'all. I can't imagine. What I know, if it's I, gross? I, I know. I don't what know what I would squeamish? do. And what, what, what do you do? Yeah. Just let the baby go? Go into okay. the wild. Good luck. Oh. Mm -mm. Anyway, so I did. Find, I found that interesting because I saw it the first time. I saw. It, I was like, "Oh wow!" And then we got ninety-seven hundred more comments like that. Yeah, I was like, "Oh cool. god, yeah, that's cool." Um, Patreon shoutouts. Hey, Louise, Susan, Tamara, Princess Mel, Allison, Lori, and Jordan. Thank you all so much for joining. Thank you. And by the time this airs, we're nearing Thanksgiving, which means we're nearing Christmas. And that's a perfect segue to this custom shout out from Tamara. With the Christmas season approaching, Parent Helper Elf Kits wants to help take some of the stress away from the parents and help create some holiday magic. These Elf Kits can be instantly downloaded and printed right at home and come with little cards and poems and set up instructions for each day of your Elf on the Shelf visit. Several ideas come with printable props, and the other ideas can be done with items you already have at home. We have five different kits and tons of accessories. Listeners can get 30% off with the code THEWORST. Our no first way! Promo first promo code. It's on Etsy. Just search for Parent Helper Elf Kits on Etsy. It's really cute. I looked at it. She has five-star ratings. Um, oh, great. I mean, thousands of sales. They're kits that take care of the whole setup. They get a welcome letter. There's actually two versions of the welcome letter. One is if it's your very first year doing Elf on the Shelf. Another, if it's not, like, it's really taking care That's of everything. That's very timely. We were just talking about if we're going to do Elf on the Shelf. Uh, yeah, we have not started yet because it does seem stressful, but she, there's a goodbye letter. There's the rules you can print out. Oh, okay. So, I'm, I'm going to have to do this. Yeah. But, and once you get into the accessories, there's like a Elf with his cookie shop or taco shop it's cute it's yeah. really cute y'all go check it out it's parent helper elf kits on etsy use promo code the worst for 30 percent off yay yay first moving promo on code. up moving on up to this what is it 
East side the, of the apartment in the sky. Our best friend uh, lived across the street from Wheezy, from the Jeffersons, just so you know. That's true. And it was not on an apartment in an apartment in the sky on the Upper East Side. That was in Atlanta. So that's all I have at the top. We can jump right in. Rachel, hey, is telling Rebecca, ho, about... <laughs> what the fuck did you just call me? <laughs> exactly. I called you a ho. Mm. I'm telling Rebecca about Natalie Bollinger. I feel like I've been hearing this name a lot from you. You're always about to do Natalie Bollinger. It's about damn time. I know. I don't know what happens. I have had the first part of this drafted forever. And then something, I don't know, I get distracted. But mm -hmm. I do want to trigger warning. There's a lot of talks of suicide in this one. Okay. Someone on TikTok said we should have done a trigger warning for something. And I was like, oh, God, I haven't. Sorry. Yes, that is dark. So sure. Murder is dark. Every story is dark. I know. I know. Everything's. Yeah, it's true. Anyway. Sources, Facebook, because a lot of the people involved in this case are very active on Facebook. Okay. CBS News, Denver 7 News, several articles from Investigation Discovery, Broomfield Enterprise, and a Medium article called The Strange Murder of Natalie Bollinger. Natalie Bollinger was born in February 1998 along with her twin sister, hey. Hey. Name Alicia. Oh, we know them. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Their parents were Rose and Ted Bollinger. They lived in Broomfield, Colorado, which is right outside Boulder. They did not have a very good childhood. Well, they Ted, had each other, at least. Yeah, yeah. Ted was abusive and often cheated on Rose, who was only 19 when they were born. So when, so when Natalie and Alicia were three years old, she left and moved to Rhode Island. That would be the last time they would see her until they were eight years old. <gasps> By then, Ted had been in and out of jail a bunch of times, and Rose found out that he was likely going to prison. I don't know what the charges were for this, but he was a big drug user. Mm. So Rose shows back up when they're eight to get custody, and she did. So Natalie and Alicia went to live with Rose, who they didn't even know. Oh, God. And they learned that when she left to move to Rhode Island, she started a whole new family. So they had a little brother that they didn't know about. They're just thrown into this whole unknown situation at eight years old. Mm. It's really, really sad. Yeah. Eventually, their dad, Ted, also moved to Rhode Island. So Natalie and Alicia started going back and forth between their parents for several years. And I'm not talking an every other weekend type thing. Custody went back and forth because one of the parents would F up. So courts would step in. Oh, God. And Rose kept getting involved with dangerous men. So they'd have to go live with their dad under the stipulation that he wouldn't drink or use drugs, which he always did. One night they were woken up by Ted's wife, their stepmom, screaming and saw Ted, who was wasted, essentially curb stomping her, trying <gasps> to kill her. Oh, my God. I know. Natalie said he was banging her head on the curb repeatedly. So Rose got custody for a while, but then she married someone abusive. So they moved back in with their dad, who is now back in Colorado. If anything, that's what kids need is inconsistency. Mo like moving across the country. I mean, it's across. insane. At this point, they're 13, 14 years old. Ted, being the stellar father that he is, made them start selling drugs for him. He even, let them, he even let them partake in some drug use. He also became physically abusive and, in Natalie's words, became, quote, a little too friendly. Oh, ew, ew. Gross. Ew. So Alicia told on him. 
And they were put into foster care. At this point, foster care seems right. I know it's horrible, but they have both inadequate parents. Right. Around this time, they met and became friends with a 37-year-old homeless man named Sean Schwartz. I believe Alicia actually knew him first and then introduced Natalie to him. It sounds like they were just young teenagers experimenting with drugs and hanging out in the streets with people they definitely should not be hanging out with. Right. Also, I do want to address, you said the dad even let them dabble in drugs. I'm like, 13-year-olds don't, like, want to do that. You probably made them, peer pressured them, whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, no one's like, Dad, can I try this meth? All right. I'm dying no, to. Like, I'm like, mm. Yeah. I don't know what drugs it was, but, uh, you know. No. Um, yeah, I know. It's sick. But, so they're in and out of foster care for a while, and by now their mom had moved to Virginia to get away from the abusive husband. So after about a year, they're able to go live in Virginia with her mo- with their mom. Okay. Wow. So that's their childhood. Very sad. Very sad. Very unstable. Very unstable. They eventually end up back in Colorado. And in 2016, Natalie graduated from high school and started college in Broomfield, studying to become a nurse, which she was very excited about. Wow. I know. Talk about coming out the other side. I know. So she's around 18-ish at this point. She moved in with her 23-year-old boyfriend, Joseph Marino, and she and Sean, the homeless man who is now 42, around 42 at the time, remained friends. She would give them rides and they would text each other and communicated a lot through Facebook messages. They bonded over their struggles with family, drugs, depression, anxiety. They were both artistic, so they encouraged each other a lot. There's a lot of support of like, you're a good person mm-hmm. messages. They're just pals. How does he have Facebook? He has a phone. Okay. That kind of reminds me, um, in DC, a homeless woman approached me and asked if I would buy her soap from CVS, which I was like, of course, I'll get you soap, shampoo, conditioner, whatever. So I come out and I'm like, feeling so good about helping someone, but she couldn't even thank me. She actually gave me the one finger because she was on the phone, just gabbing away. And I was like, like, wait a minute. How are I you didn't... paying that bill? I I you just said you were living on the street. I don't, okay. Well, Who was she talking to? Was she like gossiping? What was she saying? I think it was some girlfriend. That. She was on girlfriend. She want, She put up the one finger, like, excuse me, I'm on the phone. I was like, well, uh, I just wanted to give you the groceries I bought for you, but that's okay. Yeah, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Still that felt is... good about it, I gotta say. Sure. At the end of 2016, Natalie and Sean had a falling out. He had apparently posted something personal about her from an email she sent him or something. I don't know all the deets, but she was just, we're done. Mm-hmm. And apparently Sean did not take it well. Mm. He became obsessed and given his history with mental illness, Natalie was very scared. Yeah. In September, 2017, he made his Facebook status. Natalie, I wanted only the best for you. Now all I want is for you to go through the hell that I've lived. I want to blow my head off in front of you so close that you can feel the warm splatter of my blood on your face. It's a st- Facebook status? Yep. Oh my God, how quickly I would report that. <sighs> oh, for real. On December 13th, 2017, she posted, so this is a couple months later, she posted on Facebook, hey y'all, I have a public announcement. There is a man, Sean Schwartz. I met this man when I was young. I ran into him about two years ago. Long story short, I became friends with him. I helped him out with rides and stuff. I moved to Virginia. He drove across the country to see me, slept behind my work for weeks. When Mm -hmm. I told him I didn't want to see him anymore, he sent me hundreds of texts and calls. 
He parked his car in front of my house, blocking military highway for hours, laying on his horn. He was arrested. Since then, I've asked him to leave me alone, and he won't. He's sent emails for over a year, close to every day, harassing me, making numerous accounts until I block him again, threatening my family, telling me he'd kill himself in front of me, and sending my friends and family harassing messages as well. I'm sharing this because he's posting slander about me all over Facebook. So if you receive a message, I'm sincerely sorry. Please ignore him. It only encourages him when he gets a response, much like a child. He's mentally ill, and I'm trying to fix this. Mm, God, that would be petrifying. Oh, uh, yeah. Sean comments under this post several times from fake Facebook accounts where he's defending himself. Even as recently as a year ago, he is still commenting that she's <gasps> evil. It's very excessive. She didn't, oh, maybe she blocked him, you said, from various alias accounts. Oh, that's yeah. about so she didn't block the post from him seeing it. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's... He made several fake ones. Got it. Yeah, he had several fake ones. Oh, God. It's, it's excessive. Three days after that post, she texted one of her friends, quote, if I ever go missing, he did it. If I end up dead, someone, I think she meant somewhere, tell the cops it was him. I'm not even joking. That's what it said. That's reasonable. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds logic, about, like a rational suspect. Sure. Sure. About a week after that, on December 22nd, 2017, she was granted a restraining order against Sean. Less than a week later after that, on December 28th, 2017, Natalie's boyfriend, Joseph, came home from work just after 3 p.m. and realized Natalie was gone, but her phone and coat were there, which was very weird, especially mm -hmm. in Colorado, December. It's oh, God, for real. When he realized that his 9-millimeter Glock was also gone, he called 911 and filed a missing persons report. Mm -hmm. The next day, on December 29th, Natalie's body was found on a land of a dairy farm in an un unincorporated county about 30 minutes away. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was the next day. Yeah. She had been shot in the head, and they very quickly determined that it was not a suicide. She had a lethal dose of heroin in her system. She had oh. no gun... She had no gun residue on her hands, and there was no gun at the scene, but there was 9-millimeter shell casings, which is the same, which matches the gun that Joseph said was yeah. missing. All except for the Glock. This is very um, similar to the crime scene that was Kurt Cobain, that sounds like. A lethal cool. amount of heroin. Uh -huh. A little sketchy circumstances about how that trigger was pulled, you know what I mean? That's very true. A it's lot the first of thing I, I went to. I was like, oh. Yeah. A lot of conversation about how far away the trigger would have been because he mm -hmm. used like a right a big old big old long gun. Yeah, even I, suggesting I that it could have been pulled by his toe or something. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, Whew. another mm -hmm. combo for another day. Another conspiracy for another day. People, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. That could be an episode. <laughs> So the investigation is on, but given her Facebook post about Sean and the comments he was leaving on her page right before this, like days before this, the court of public opinion knew exactly who was responsible. Oh, yeah. Facebook groups are formed talking about the case and calling for Broomfield police to hurry up and arrest Sean. Sean was very quick to fight back. He went live on Facebook several times defending himself, telling people to back off. He reads some of the harassing messages he's getting he said, look at their drug-abusing dad, Ted, even her twin sister, Alicia. Then he'd post screenshots of old messages that showed that Natalie sometimes dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts. He starts commenting on news articles from fake accounts, defending himself. He's on a tear. Yeah. 
Most of his videos are still on Facebook and YouTube. Some are over an hour long. So Jesus. be be my guest. Some are calm, but some are very angry. He calls Natalie his once best friend. He calls her evil. He goes after everyone who's quote unquote blaming him. Police question him and in a, pre in a press conference, they say they're not ready to call anyone a suspect just yet. They need to do the investigation by the numbers, quote. Their biggest concern from the jump is a 26 hour gap leading up to where her body was found. Apparently someone had spoken to her at 1 p.m. the day she went missing, but after that there's nothing for 26 hours. Nobody reports that they talked to her in person, on the phone and text messages. There's nothing on social media, which she is very active on, nothing. They go to her cell phone provider with a warrant to request records of her phone activity. The warrant said they had 30 days to provide the records and apparently the provider, I don't know who it is, used every single one of those days, like an asshole. What? Oh, oh, sorry. So there's, they said, you have 30 days to get us her records and they used all 30 with a potentially killer on the loose. Like right. they're just dicks. Maybe anyway. that's why I didn't realize that she was found the next day. Cause I'm like, I thought it lagged, but this is probably why that's, it lagged. That's why it lagged. So while they're waiting on that on January 6, 2018, during one of Sean's online outbursts, he told police to meet him at St. John's Episcopal church to quote, put him in the ground. And then he calls them cowards. It's very like, you think I did this? Then come face me, bitches, type thing. Yeah, yeah. Right before this, he had posted a few things referencing suicide. So because of all this, they did a welfare check. He was definitely proving to be a threat to himself or other people. So they're like, let's just pop in. Right. During that check, they decided to take him to Boulder Community Health to admit him for a mental health hold. But while he was there, he yelled at the staff, refused to let them help. I think what set him off was them taking his phone, which is protocol. Mm -hmm. he, he lost it. When they couldn't calm him down, they arrested him for obstruction. They cuffed him. And when they tried to walk him out of the building to the pa patrol car, he refused to walk. He like, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. That, Dad waited them. Yeah. Classic move for a toddler. Uh-huh. All the while, he's yelling and losing his shit. I think it one point he was trying to spit and or bite them because they threw a spit hood over his head, which is apparently it's just cloth. <laughs> and so they that's called when, it a spit hood. Oh, yeah. I, I Googled it. I mean, I got what it was just by, yeah, by the sure. name, but I was like, let me see what this looks like. It's just cloth that okay. covers your mouth. Okay. This is when he started kicking the officers. So now he was charged with second degree assault on an officer, obstructing an obstructing a police officer and resisting arrest everyone is ant that he's in jail even though it's not related to natalie's murder he's off the street so they're like yeah. perfect that's fine mm -hmm. this is when they finally announced that he is a person of interest in natalie's murder he was eventually released on bail then went to facebook yet again to say that they assaulted him and that the whole welfare check was just a ploy to incite him Police are looking at everyone in Natalie's family. As we know, her dad, Ted, had a very long criminal record with arrest for burglary, car theft, drug charges, felony assault, domestic violence, violating protection orders, eluding police. I mean, it goes yeah. on and on. Her uncle also had a record with multiple drug charges. Her mom had a record, but seemingly not as violent as Ted. There's a counterfeit charge in there, some traffic stuff. I'm really curious about a pit bull violation charge from 2000 hmm. that's on a record. Okay. Col Colorado 
bans pit bulls, apparently. Who knew? I don't know. Um, but okay. It's on her record. They never named anyone in her family a person of interest or suspect, though. In early February 2018, they still hadn't made an arrest, but they finally got the phone records back. They found that on the day she went missing, there were 111 text messages from an unknown number to her phone. On February 8, 2018, police approached 22-year-old Joseph Michael Lopez as he's walking into his job at Domino's. And it's like, can we speak to you for a moment? And he says, sure. Can we steal you for a quick sec? You texted a victim over 100 times. Thank you. He gets in his car and follows him to the police station. And when he sits down, he says, I'm pretty sure I know why, why I'm here. And they're like, great. And he says, it's because of that girl I talked to on Craigslist. You okay. see, right before they got the phone records, they didn't release it, but they had officially cleared Sean as a suspect because they confirmed he was out of state the day Natalie went missing. And their their investigation was actually back at square one. They're like, we're at a loss. Right. But so this guy says this, and they're like, yeah, the girl from Craigslist. They have no idea what yeah. he's talking about, but they obviously don't tell him that. They're like, sure. Yeah. But we're going to let you tell your side of the story before we get into it. Mm -hmm. So Joseph tells him that right after Christmas, he was on Craigslist perusing the women seeking men section when he came across a post that was titled, I want to put a hit on myself. Mm. Intrigued, he reached out to her pretending to be a professional hitman named Akai. Akai? Akai? And he learned that. The person who posted it was named Natalie Bollinger, and she wanted to end her life but couldn't bring herself to do it. So she wanted to hire someone to, quote, execute her from behind. He, it, the post also said she'd provide the gun. Uh, Joseph yeah. said, yeah, Joseph said that he intended to meet up with her to convince her not to do it. He picked her up. They drove around for a while, but she couldn't find a suitable place. So he dropped her back off at her apartment, and that was the last he saw of her. He didn't realize that they had already pinged his phone to a tower that was near where her body was found. Mm-hmm. So when they told him that, he changed his story. He said that as they were driving, she asked him to stop the car, and she got out and walked over to the woods where her body was found. She knelt down and shot herself. And he, when she did that, he panicked, grabbed her purse and the gun, and ran. Mm. I'm sure they're just blankly staring at him. At this point, because dead ass being like, oh God, we have a dumb (laughs) ass story. Because if you don't know this person, but you want to help save her life, you just call the police. Like, I'm not going through the trouble. Like, who am I? I'm just a normal person. I'm not going to convince someone I don't know and who doesn't know me to not end their life. I need someone, I need cops to intervene or something, you know? What the, you're going to go meet up with someone you don't know who has a gun and is, in a fragile state of mind, like, why are you even putting yourself into a situation? I don't know. Well, what's way more unrealistic to me is the fact that she would get out, do that to herself, and he would panic being the innocent bystander and grab right. her purse and the gun and, and run. the gun. Yeah. What? You no. don't know this girl. Call the Call police. The Call them everything. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Oh, it's just, I mean, in any regard, the gunshot itself and the fact that they could tell it was done from several feet away, they're like, no, right. sorry. It's, it's just impossible that that story is real. So then he gave the real story. He said, Natalie knelt down on the ground and he knelt down next to her. They said a prayer. Then he got up and stood, 
to the left of her and a little bit in front of her, closed his eyes and shot. Then he took off with her purse and gun, which he said was still in the trunk of his car. Sure enough, they open the trunk and it's there. During their conversation, Joseph apparently shared some very disturbing details about his own homicidal fantasies, saying he kept a journal where he wrote about kidnapping and torture and murder. Even his fake persona, Akai, I think mm-hmm. that's how I say it, whatever, was actually one of his 12 fantasy personas that he used online in the gaming exchanges. And he described this one as very charismatic and can lure people in. And then he turns psycho and strikes. Mm-hmm. That's okay. his description. He did express regret, saying that the murder had been eating away at him. He, even his boss at Domino said he had been throwing up at work the day after the murder and he had to go home sick. Mm-hmm. But as a legal analyst put it, even if she asked for assistance, if he's the one who pulled the trigger, it's still murder. Yeah. So he was charged with first degree murder. To avoid a life sentence, he accepted a plea deal. He pled guilty to second degree murder and got 48 years in prison with eligibility of parole, which her family's pissed about. Yeah. That's still where he is today. But fast forward to October 19th, 2019. Natalie's twin sister, Alicia, was reported missing in Wichita, (gasps) Kansas. What? Missing. Oh, this, okay, you're right. This part, I do not know. But wait, real quick, and you might get into it already, but can't they, like, subpoena the Craigslist ad, see if that was a legit ad that she posted from her IP address, whatever? I honestly don't know. No article verified that they actually saw that she posted this. I don't know why. Holy shit, now her twin is missing. So 2019, 21-year-old Alicia Bollinger is reported missing from Wichita, Kansas. Apparently, the day before, she was the passenger in a car that was involved in a police chase. It started in Oklahoma. I think it, it went on for about an hour. I don't know the circumstances, but the car was eventually stopped, and she was taken to the hospital. So maybe it wrecked, but she was fine. Because someone with the Kansas Highway Patrol dropped her back off at the hotel where she was staying in Wichita. And the next day, like late in the afternoon, she was reported missing. Oh, wow. The internet blew up with this news because in the months leading up to this, Sean had shifted his focus on his (gasps) videos away from Natalie and how she ruined his life and onto Alicia with videos (gasps) as recent as July 2019, less than two months before she went missing. Some of the videos were called Alicia Bollinger, the pretty junkie. Alicia Bollinger has no conscience. (gasps) Alicia Bollinger, the lying drug dealing junkie who killed dot, dot, dot. And this video, he just he says that Alicia told him to sleep behind Natalie's work in Virginia and how the people who signed off on this protective order lied. Alicia lied because it was all her idea. It's just it's a huge rant. Yeah, He, he gets very angry in it. Alicia was found two days later, <gasps> safe. Oh, thank and God. And she wrote on Facebook, hey, y'all, sorry if I worried anyone. I'm so thankful for the people who saved me. They pulled a rescue mission and got me out of a really bad situation. And hopefully they are helping me get back home. Much love. That was her status? Uh-huh. That Still is up? All we know. <gasps> no, no she's, she's very private on Facebook. I, I found her, but there's not much there. Oh, my God. And her name is not Alicia Bollinger on Facebook. I'm just saying, don't go looking for her place. There's there's no point anyway. But that is all we know about her missing (gasps) status. But she's found. She's safe now. 
What's weird is Sean had posted during the two days she was missing, begging people to look for her. It was just like Natalie's because the one day Natalie was missing, it was the same thing. I was like, here's who to contact. Please be on the lookout. Very. Yeah. And I remember that. Yeah. All the, all the posts around that though, is just dogging both of them. It's very strange. So true. Well, he's mentally ill, but exactly. I had no idea about Alicia going missing. Oh my God. Yeah. To this day, Sean Schwartz continues to post about Natalie, Alicia, their dad's head, really the whole Bollinger family, literally as recent as two weeks ago. Wow. But he has a lot of mental health issues. They are, some of them are very hard to watch. It's, you know, it's about how they ruined his life. People still harass him. He won't drop it, blah, 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 blah. But he, it's, they're hard to watch. Well, clearly he had nothing to do with Alicia's either. No, he didn't have, no, that's the craziest part of the stories. Cause you, that. That is, it, and it's all out there online on Facebook, on social media, YouTube, all of it. And it's both of these, these twins go missing surrounded by someone who despises them and is not afraid to let the world know it. And he had nothing to do with it. Right. It's, it's crazy. It is. The shocking twist is that he didn't do it. I know. But Alicia's, uh, I, really, I had no idea she went missing. Okay. I, I thought the yeah. story ended with the, it's up for debate whether she actually put that Craigslist up or that's what I remember. Yeah. No. Um, that's the crazy, sad story of the murder of Natalie Bollinger. Crazy ass story. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Wow sad Mm -hmm. thank y'all so much for listening (laughs) it's always an awkward transition i know because i have it's especially when i already knew the story because i don't have many questions except for the alicia stuff my god i can't say it enough that really caught me off guard i know i knew it would Uh uh-huh that's what i strive to do when i tell you something that's the mo people of this podcast thanks for listening thank y'all you are the best people are the worst. worst bye